Welcome back to Kafaro Cast, everyone. Frank here with Aaron, and we got a very special guest, the one and only John, the legend, Barklow, Titty Sprinkles Barklow. <laughs> <laughs> That's an honor of Randy Cooling. Frank, by the I've way. only known you for a week. I can still uh, decide not to like you. So. <laughs> for for whatever reason, Randy Cooling calls you Barklow. I can't get him to stop. It's it's not Barclay. He's from Michigan. I told you that. I'm from Ohio. He's from Michigan. The two of us do not get along. You could call him Cowling. Randy and I do, but the states, you know, it's a, it's an issue, especially during football season. Rivals. Yeah. So what's going on in the great state of Montana today? Uh, so it was negative 12 on my way to work on, uh, what is it, November or October 29th. I uh, had a full-on snowstorm. I uh, still got all my targets on the range. I have to somehow figure out how to get uh into my barn now and uh yeah winter has set in unfortunately same way here um i got like a foot at my house and it's colder than hell it sucks and then it sounds like i'm going to texas in a couple days it sounds just as shitty down there i'm not really excited about that yeah no i'm supposed to head uh just over the border of texas into mexico here in like 10 days and it's kind of the same deal i mean it's cold as hell yeah. So apparently that's that's going to be the common theme for the second half archery season. It looks like it. Well, that's I know that's going to be what a lot of this podcast is about. We all just were in Alberta well, hunting with primitive outfitting with Jeff Lander. And uh, it was colder than a well digger's ass in January just about every day. Um, I know in my, where I was at, I had up to 70 mile an hour winds. Probably what was the coldest it got? In the mornings, it was pretty cold. Oh, uh, I was in the teens, I believe. The the problem where was we were, the, where the we were. teens, and it was like thirty mile an hour, forty mile an hour winds in the <laughs> teens. It was horrible. Yeah, no, we definitely had wind chills below zero. It was it was kind of hard sometimes to to do the calculation because everything's in uh, kilometers an hour and Celsius. But but no, it was definitely negatives. Um, it was definitely in the negatives for most of the hunt, which obviously makes archery hunting incredibly challenging. Um, and you're not even bringing the animal component into it yet. Yeah. The one morning on my story, I think I said I farted and I could hear it hit the ground. It was so cold. And I, I, Lander was, he left me at a glassing point and he went out and he found a buck and he's like, Hey, I'm whatever on this buck. How are you holding up? And I'm like, dude, it's brutal, but I'll, I'll sit here as long as I can, you know, until that buck beds so he could see it bed, obviously, then come grab me. And I'm looking anyway, the moment it bedded, I'm like, dude, get over here. I'm about to fucking die. Like, I, I can't feel my feet. I can't feel my hands. And then it took me an hour to get the feeling back in my my feet, especially I'd take my boots off in the front of the truck. And he didn't make fun of me at all about that. Actually, he made fun of me the entire time. But, yeah, it was freezing cold. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it's some of the most challenging. I would say that week was. Some of the most challenging weather, um, coupled with the most challenge, some of the most challenging terrain to archery hunt in, um, and then some of the most switched on, you know, mule deer. Um, it was graduate level stuff for sure. I've had guys give me shit about hunting up there with on private land, and you know, like, oh, I thought you were a public land guy. The normal whatever goofy shit you get, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know, we did hunt public land though. Yeah, well, basically, and some of it is public, some of yeah. it's 
private and anybody can get permission on it. You can't charge. It's not like you're hunting a private ranch, right? It's a giant farm that people road hunt off of, that the landowner will let people on all the time. There's public land. But those are the smartest, most technical deer, I, I mean, I've ever hunted. That's insane. Yeah, you know, Jeff was saying, he'd use that term quite a bit. He goes, you know, this is very technical bow hunting. And I would say mule deer archery hunting in general is, I, I like to say, surgical compared to, um, you know, like elk hunting, which is more, you can be louder and kind of assault them, so to speak. Um, but technical is definitely the term, not just because of the deer being switched on, but the terrain just, you know, it's either wide open and you're, and you're belly crawling the whole time, or you're just creeping into these coolies and just glassing literally every other step. Um, and they, those deer are just, and you know, they always have the wind to their advantage as most animals do. So it's, it's no layup. The, the only thing that Alberta provides, which I certainly enjoy is it provides numerous opportunities and that's what you need up there when you're archery hunting. One of the things I was explaining to, to Baby Gap, um, who uh, that's one of the uh, he he guides for the Lancasters and then he guides for um, for for uh, Jeff Lander as well. But that he was new up there to the mule deer. As I'm like, man, as you said, they they bed a lot of times, totally unapproachable because of the wind. But sometimes, and I said, dude, if it's worth it, you have to push the wind to almost its maximum point to come over the top of a hill to take a shot. And I was explaining him about approaching, like some sometimes you have to come in at a goofy angle and then you, we use those wind drifters and then cut right at the very end to cup and up, come up and over and maybe only missing the deer by a few yards. But it's the only way you're going to get a shot. And, and you got to take all that in consideration of where you're moving, when, what's, in the way are you going through red brush right are you going to be making noise especially if you're creeping over the top and they're 10 yards off the top and you're trying to crest around and then you've got you know well the other problem is is you can't you can't stalk in your bare well frank did in his socks when it's you know in the single digits right you can only stay in your socks for right. so long how long did you right. stay in your socks, Frank? Yeah, you know, the red aspect is, <laughs> is really interesting because, one, it, it's always windy up there, and you need the wind. It's a double-edged sword. You need the wind to get in close on these animals, but then it, it really it, it impedes your, your di the distance you can shoot. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you're an 80, 100-yard shooter. There was, one, there was one day I was, you know, high 20s, 27, 28 yards, and I'm like, this is going to be a challenging shot at this distance. I need to cut this distance in half. And it was all because of the wind. But the other thing, you know, that uh, you and I have talked about before, but you just mentioned it, is letting that animal think that he's got the wind to his advantage. And obviously they bet there because they feel that way. But you have to push it to the razor's edge, like with a crosswind. You're like, if I go two yards closer to that animal, he's going to get my wind. But right now he feels completely comfortable with where he is. And you're just always trying to push that fine line. And my first two stocks, I just completely screwed up. I mean, there was, I just pushed it too much. And, you know, you gave me, what did you give me those little, uh, wind floaters. I've been using the puffer bottle, but the, the wind floaters, which I mean, when it's blowing 30, it's kind of useless. Um, 
but you have to drop those sometimes and see what it's doing a hundred yards away from you. Cause it doesn't almost matter what it's doing in front of your face. Obviously it matters where the animal is. And it's just fascinating to see what that wind's doing. And there were a couple of times I'm like, I have no idea how they smelled me, but they clearly smelled me. And, um, but you got to push it. Hey, I'm going to walk out of this conference room. So everybody knows it might get a little loud, but I'm getting booted out of different rooms around the building. So, uh, uh, if you hear a little noise, that's why. No, no, no problem. The um, not trying to over. I'm, I'm not, you know, wanting to Donnie Vincent the shit out of this or or whatever you want to call it and make it more. Not saying he over dramatizes, but just saying that as far as deer go, you have a tuned up deer. You have very goofy terrain. You have very high winds, um, and you have very cold weather. I, I mean, overall, I can't complain because I stocked in super close and just screwed up on, uh, you know, on 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 the shot. And well, Randy Cooling said this morning, it's good to see me get my ass kicked occasionally to let it know I'm human. <laughs> I was like, yeah, fuck off, Randy. Um, but the stock wise, as I was explaining it to to Baby Gap on a couple of them, it's like, hey, man. I'm looking at the top six inches of the antlers. Once more than the six inches are exposed, I'm getting nervous because I'm getting to his eye level. If I can only see the top six and they're facing away, I can get away with almost anything within reason if I'm paying attention to what's on the ground. Meaning if I'm in grass and I don't have any of the little red brush sticking up, I'm good. But if there's red brush, I'm going to have to – that's going to dictate where I can move to. And then the, the clothing being quiet is another one as well as, um, I mean, your bow, you know, just drawing that bow back, making noise when you're sub 20. And in ca- your case, Frank, I mean, that one that blew out, what were you, 15, 10 yards? Which one? The, well, the one you drew back at 15, 10 yards. I don't think I drew, <laughs> I don't think I drew back on that one, but yeah, it was, it was pretty close, yeah. What do you think caused? Oh, it's on my head. And and on that, what would have what would have fixed that? Anything? Well, it probably uh, I think coming in it, it was in this cut bank on a in a in a little coulee there off pretty uh, pretty close to the road we were driving by. It was like a hundred yards up this coulee and just saw it laying there. So we drove past it and uh, tried to get kind of above it, but I was wearing a black beanie and Landers like you idiot, you're wearing the black beanie. I think probably saw you saw the tip of your head trying because you know I was trying to peek peek over and. Trying to pinpoint where it was at, and I was trying to peek over, and so he's like, "Yeah, you definitely need a camo beanie or something more earth tone because he was just wearing that black merino beanie." And that's why I camo my face is for that. If it gives me an extra split second, I wear a mask or camo yep. my face just because. Well, I mean, a lot of times when you first pop over, they may only see the top, your forehead and your eyes and nose, and you pop, you see them and you pop back down. Well, if it's a giant blinking beacon they're a lot more apt to start getting a hell of a lot more jittery even if they're two three hundred yards away those deer well we we parked a thousand yards from deer and they got up and blew out within seconds of us stopping the truck from a thousand yards um they don't hang out off yeah yeah no same with us so what happened with your first your guys first couple of days because the first two days i was with lander and then we swapped it up after that so I'd say the first day we got dropped off um, on a glassing point. So, so that everybody knows in Alberta, you can the guide can uh, place you in a glassing spot or in a ground blind and not have to necessarily be present with you as long as you're not 
moving locations. So we glassed in the morning and then, uh, we were with Nathan, um, Nathan French. He was our, our guide and he went and glassed another spot. And, um, we, we spotted a few deer uh, and, and John found actually a, a pretty cool older buck, um, down close to the, in this river bottom kind of bedded on this, on the edge of some willows and, uh, some, some other type of thick vegetation. So, um, we kind of went and checked out some other country and ended up coming back to that spot that evening. And John told me to go down there and see if I can get close and maybe get a shot. And, uh, I, it was kind of bedded in this, in these bushes. I thought it was closer to these willows. I walked up, snuck up to it, got, I wore these, those stocking shoes that you gave John Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was pretty crunchy in there. So I was just slipping off the shoes and I look over and that thing's looking at me (laughs) 50 50 (laughs) yards. I thought it was a little more tucked in than it was, but ended up being right there and it pretty much shat on my dreams from there. But it was a really cool old buck, just like a, a four by three. And then on its three side, I guess it would have been a four by four. It had like an extra point between its back fork. So pretty cool. Pretty cool experience there, just getting close. Um, man, the, yeah, those those deer, they are, uh, if you don't have any wind, it's it's pretty close, pretty hard to get close to them, uh, sneak up on them and stuff like that, because everything out there is pretty crunchy. Yeah, and the cactus suck, because uh, if you're in your socks, you're inevitably going to step <clears throat> step on a, what are they called, pl- prickly pear cactus? Yeah. I don't know, they drop you like a sniper, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that the next few days um, we hunted that that kind of badlands country, which is man, it's crazy. I mean, that definitely advantage deer there, uh, where you're literally just taking one or two steps, glassing one or two steps, glassing, and we ended up getting on a few bucks, but nothing really close. Um, it was just really tough, especially not having ever been there before. I don't even think Nathan had been there before. It's uh, I think maybe you put more time in that unit than anybody over the years, but you know, you could probably speak to it better, but it was some really, really challenging stuff trying to see the deer before, before they saw you. And, uh, Frank and I had glassed a couple dropping into some different coolies and, you know, by the time we got in there, gave them a couple hours, by the time we got in there, you know, they were, they were gone. Um, so that, that was, uh, that was some butt kick and we got the first few days just because of the, because of the terrain we were in. What people don't understand when you're, when you, when you're dropping in, those aren't as necessarily even coolies. They're more canyons that I learned real quick yeah. is when you creep over to an edge to look at your, let's say 200 yards and in, what you're really not thinking about is what's 600 yards away or, or 400. And what kills you a lot of times, there's two things. One you're not glassing what's far away before you take the two steps forward. So something far away may empty out of the canyon that you don't even see or you know that's there. What, what else kills you is when you go to creep over to look down and something across the canyon is bedded there looking at you. So you can't move with it. it it's been the most challenging thing for me because you truly have to still hunt. Take one step, glass for you know, what anywhere from 10 minutes to 60 seconds, depending on the terrain, take one step, glass again. And it works if you're patient enough, but about the time you get complacent and you take four steps, I've emptied some fucking coolies out that had 40 deer in it that I pushed one out 
and he's running out the bottom of the canyon saying, hey, there's a fat white dude at the top, and it's just a wave out the bottom of the canyon, and you're done. There's no deer left in that canyon. You got to, you know, go to a different one. And, you know, I I, I kept telling you guys, just because I was so surprised when Lander was with me, how many deer he spotted compared to what I thought I was doing correctly, glassing like crazy, because he knows the area so well. And I'd say, hey, guys, nothing against what you're doing or Nathan's doing. You're going to see deer today. Like, Lander knows that area so well. And on the third day, I think, I mean, you guys saw a pile of deer just because he's very familiar with that area. Yeah. Yeah, we were, um, I was up front. Frank was behind me. And, you know, we're doing what you described. You're taking a couple steps. You're glassing. And, you know, I'm glassing because my binos are in my hand. I'm going to my glass because I'm thinking I've cleared everything at 600 yards, right? And, uh, but Frank's behind me and he can't see right in front of me. So he's looking farther out. And sure enough, man, we had this wide buck. I mean, we could have killed him so easy if we'd have seen him first, but Frank's like, you know, and sure enough, man, there's that deer bedded in the lead, just looking right at us at like maybe four or 500 yards. And I hadn't seen him because I was glassing everything right in front of me first and then bringing the optics up. And Frank was glassing obviously the horizon first. And, uh, yeah, it's tough. It, it was very challenging. I mean, you could spend the season in there and probably figure it out, but when you got a couple of days, it's uh, it's a rough game. Yeah, I mean, like the just because I had gotten, you know, I I don't know how much time I'd been up there because I usually fly up a week or two early just to hang out with Lander and help out in glass because it's just so much fun picking, you know, the land apart. But um, I've gotten, a, you know, pretty used to. You, you know, like Lander, I'm kind of the, the glassing uh, biatch where he's like, hey, get out and go glass those coolies for me. And he's glassing something else and, you know, run forward. And, hey, I saw this and I'll run back. And, you know, la- last year's a prime example, not to keep pounding into this, but, you know, when you're hunting open country mule, mule deer, you know, I'm I'm glassing a specific area. You know, you know I, obviously I don't have a weapon. I'm helping out. My season hasn't started. I'm just helping Lander. And I go forward. I'm glassing, I'm glassing, I'm glassing, I'm looking in these coolies, and there's a, a spot where I'm like, man, that's almost impossible for me to glass this angle. I back out, circle around 400 yards and glass a totally different angle, and there's two bucks, which we ended up stalking one of them, which would almost have been impossible for me to spot without blowing out from the first approach I had. But because I've blown so many deer out of there, I know now okay, I got to reposition and I repositioned completely and was able to come up with them facing me, even though that doesn't make probably sense from 600 yards away and get eyes on them in these cliffs compared to I would have been 100 yards away or less and would have almost had to expose myself and they more than most likely would have seen me because they're tuned up where at 600 yards away, if I'm glassing methodically, I was able to look at it, map it out, take a picture, go back, dissect the animal, and it's just that freaking technical, or or can be anyway. Yeah, no, it's uh, it takes a lot of patience too, a lot of patience. Yeah, I uh, I think on my first day out there, uh, well, I mean, really the first stock I went on, I was heading in to see if I could get on these deer that disappeared in this this bottom and uh i walked up on like a 140 inch deer bedded 
right below me just out of, you know, taking my time kind of glassing and walked up to an edge and glassed in the red brush and it was bedded right below me. And it wasn't a deer um, that I necessarily would have shot. In fact, I, I didn't shoot it or I didn't even try. But if I would have blown that deer out, I guarantee he would have ran into the wood, hardwood bottom I was going to and grabbed all his buddies. And we actually had yeah. Nathan and Ryan come to help me on a buck and it and just happenstance the cows ran the wrong freaking way like totally direction it wasn't their fault they totally they cleared them by 100 yards to the left side of them they like sped around them and then ran to where the deer were <laughs> purposefully to like fuck me over and the deer blew out not because of any human because some cows ran through and that alerts those deer so it, it truly is is amazing and then you add the the like for me, I've got that hand mitt. Um, it's actually in your whitetail line. I've got that. When I low crawl, I spin it around to the back of me so I can low crawl up. But I also have my left hand with a glove on or at least some type of some protection with a hot hand, at least on the back side of my hand so I can grab my binos with a free hand. I'm stuffing it in the hand warmer when I'm not glassing. And then obviously when you're going to shoot an animal, you know, once you low crawl up and you've committed and you get you know, within shooting distance, in my case, I was trying to get sub 20. Now you're exposed in every way because you can't move. Your hands are exposed so you can make the shot. You're waiting for them to stand. It becomes like a, um, you know, not to make this all about Sitka gear, a clothing fucking nightmare because you got to be quiet. You got to be warm. You got a lot of things going on. And the hand thing for me was a like, without that, that mitt, that hand warmer, I would have been in deep shit. <laughs> I had to have that thing. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the incinerator muff from the whitetail line, and you know, you and I had talked prior to going up, and um, that was absolutely clutch because I had the same system going on. I had incinerator muff in front. I always put one glove on my shooting hand, more for camouflage as much as anything. I had a scent glove, so just super lightweight, and then nothing on my actual release hand. Um, but I was able. I mean, that thing was just. It allowed me to be able to be mobile, but but still shoot. Um, you know, as much as the terrain is technical and these deer are tough, uh, I would argue that that is some of the most technical conditions to, to be able to dress for, um, to be effective because you're moving fast, you're moving slow, you're crawling, you're, you know, you're, you're squatting over, you're, you're running, but then you still have to be able to draw your bow and shoot, and then you got to be deadly quiet. Like it is a, it is a very complex thing to try to figure out. And um, uh, you know, I think I think we are all successful in that regard. But those conditions are uh, are brutal. The only conditions worse than that, in my opinion, are like thirty three degrees and like rain snow mix with yeah. high winds. Like that's like the worst. Yeah. But the hypothermic what we one. experience was pretty severe. Yeah. Yeah. For, for success, you know, for archery success. I, I, I think, and I don't, Frank, you've hunted mule deer a ton too. And, and obviously up, you were up there last year and, and I think you've hunted up there five different times in Alberta. Is that right, John? Yeah. Yeah. So what I explained to Amy, you kind of bring it into the, the military side of things. I would say, you know, you get so much, uh, Lander makes fun of the word kit. I think because Ryan Callahan uses it now, but <laughs> he likes to give him shit. 
you have so much kit on, whether you're talking RBA, your ruck, what, whatever you have on, you become, at a certain point, combat ineffective. Meaning, if you had to run from artillery, you might as well stop and just get blown up because you have so much shit on, <laughs> you can't do it. Like, Or, or you know, you're trying to do... Um, I, I bound and overwatch and and, 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 and and I'm only bringing this up to put things into perspective, military guys listening. If you do bound and overwatch, you're leapfrogging. If you have so much shit on, it takes you a, a fucking miracle to get back to your feet to sprint forward or backward, meaning, you know, you're running away or running too, and then you're diving on the ground and you got cover fire for your buddy and he gets up, you're increasing the likelihood of getting shot with how much shit you have on because you can't move effectively. Well, when you're hunting, you're increasing the amount of chances to fuck the shot up when you have more clothing on, you got more noise, more chance of your string hitting, you know, something, and you're, 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 you're like, what's the word, um, uh, cinched up, um, bound up, because you have all that clothing on. There's a lot of things going on. And, and you know, in, in, in my case... I'm not on the one buck that I that I got on, and I got about I think five yards is what Lander and I figured out four and a half yards from it. I was stripping clothes off when I came up the hill for the simple fact I knew how close I could get, but I had a lot of things going on that were so I had I had pulled my my gloves off, which were wind blocker gloves, but they were noisy, and I had them sticking out of my pockets. In my pants. Well, I thought surely one of these motherfuckers will blow out and blow down the prairie and blow them out. So I took those off and put a rock over them about a hundred yards out. Well, then I get up and I'm like, okay, you know, the jacket I had on is relatively quiet, but I got it, you know, the collar with a 40 mile an hour wind, that collar flaps or your hood flaps. Right. So I'm tucking it in mm-hmm. like a neck roll. Just hap- that's what right. you got to do. And, and to get five yards, and, and when you're that close, noise is, is huge, right? I mean, it's just they're going to blow out what no matter what it is. But, I you know, you got to think about all of those things before you go in. Like, oh, well, I'll just hunt with something without a hood. All right, well, let me know how that goes when you're walking 400 yards with a 40-mile-an-hour wind gust blowing in your ear. You got to have a hood. You just need to be cognizant of what can flap around on that stock. So I'll quit hounding on it, but it was just, it was a good experience. I mean, obviously I got a lot more stocks in than, than you guys. Sorry, fellas, but I didn't pull it off as far as the shot, but you're learning something every stock. Like I said, I have that bino harness and the, the one thing I never would have thought of was the webbing coming down, which is binding tape. It's the silentest freaking thing you could have, but that freaking deer heard the binding tape one flap and he didn't blow out, but he heard something he didn't like. His ears started twitching and shit, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" You know, and and you, it's just one of the things you have to deal with. But yeah, no, I did the same thing. I had you know a couple hoods on, and of course, I didn't need them all to get in on the animal. I'm tucking them away. I'm tucking different collars away if I can't zip something, you know, because I can't zip it all the way up necessarily to my chin and still get my anchor that I want. But any little thing that's you know there. They're used to the wind blowing in their ears, but they're listening for anything out of the ordinary. And, um, you know, and so to go back to your military reference, 
yeah, you have to be, you know, I like to say athletic and nimble and all this stuff, but then you also have to build a system that's deftly quiet. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I was more than a little amazed at, at how close you were getting. And if I ever thought I wanted to hunt with a stick, I, I probably, you probably dissuaded me because I'm like, yeah, fuck that. I don't want to get 10 yards from here. Um, that's just too much work. Um, 20 yards is probably fine for me. But, you know, my, my big success um, was, you know, I wore my, you know, full apex system uh, the whole time. But, you know, I had synthetic base layers. But then I'm a huge fan of Windstopper. I think it's one of the most underutilized technologies. And I'm a huge fan, especially when it's that windy and cold. Uh, even if I'm sitting in a whitetail stand or, or, uh, you know, big game hunting is I'm a fan of double wind stopper. And so, um, it's a little counterintuitive what I do, but I had my lightweight base layer on and then I immediately put a, uh, wind stopper mountain vest directly on top of that. So that kind of protects my core. And because I wear it so close to my body, where it's the warmest in that system, it pushes the moisture through that thing like super easy. Like I don't even, I don't even think twice about it. And then I was able to go, um, apex hoodie, Calvin active hoodie. And most of the time I was good with that. But then when it really got cold those last couple of days and started really blowing and snowing, I think both you and I, uh, Aaron use that traverse cold weather hoodie. And that thing was like clutch. And because I had wind stopper underneath, even though that traverse cold weather hoodie isn't wind stopper, it's super quiet. So I bury the wind stopper in my system. And then I have that quiet thing on the outside. And, uh, you know, that seemed to be a pretty good system. And then on my bottom, I had windproof, we'll call it windproof boxers, core lightweight, and then my Apex pants. Cause you have to have them. I mean, you have to have something that flipping quiet. And that's the real challenge is to make that balance. Frank, how long did you sit on that last buck? Not the not the jump to the last day, but how long did you sit on that buck? I think Landers said two to two and a half hours or so. Yeah, it was two and a half hours. I don't know why I'm asking you. You were probably so cold you didn't even know what the hell you were doing. <laughs> but I, we, in in the comfort of the truck, I I timed you at two and a half hours without <laughs> without even your boots on, and I'd been on a buck for two hours, you know, earlier that day, and uh, man. I mean, if you want to have, you know, it's, it's kind of, what do they call it? Level, level two fun. Um, <laughs> you want to have some fun out there and be successful. You, you have to figure that shit out because those animals will not give you a second. They won't give you a second chance. Although we'll talk about it a little later. I actually did have a meal there. Give me a second chance, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. I think, uh, John told me before I went on this stock on that deer, he said one, one more thing. I got a word of advice for you. Just don't be a pussy. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, shit! I'm like, all right. Well, I guess I'll and, be and sitting Frank, out here till dark if I have to. Frank, yeah. To, to your credit, Frank, you weren't. <laughs> we were glassing him from like a thousand yards away, maybe a little more. I forget. It was like twelve hundred, and we're sitting there, and I can see his boots like sixty yards above him. So I'm like, oh, that poor bastard. Like he's in his socks, and. uh we would have snow squalls blow through that were so intense. We literally not just lost sight of Frank and the deer. We lost sight of the whole mountain he was on. And I'm like, Oh Jesus, that's gotta be miserable. <laughs> it was not enjoyable. That's for sure. Well, I, <laughs> I, 
Yeah, I you, obviously Frank's more of a man than I because I was on a deer the same day. I made it thirty minutes, and I'm like, <laughs> all right. I and 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 uh, baby gaps on top, up, up above, like a elevated position, looking down, and he can see me moving right like back and forth like two feet on my knees as this is the wind picks up and i'm like okay i got five minutes left in me and i'm i'm done like i can't feel hands i can't feel like i'm gonna at least i'm gonna have to lay my bow down and lay on the ground 18 yards behind this deer and curl up like a bitch in a fetal position and try and stay warm or or figure something out which i thought i had and i I screwed it up so i have my boots on though my feet weren't cold, but man, my left hand yeah. got so cold. If I went to pick my nose, I probably would have stabbed myself in the eye because I couldn't feel my my fingers. It was that cold because it was probably where I was at 30 to 40 mile an hour gusts with a strong 15, I would say, constant and snow off and on. Is that about what you had? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah fuck all that. It was bad. Yeah, that's what Frank had. I don't think I had... I maybe had 20, 30 mile an hour winds a little earlier in the day, but I'm telling you that hand muff, you know, I was able to keep my hand on my bow, which is a carbon riser. I was able to keep my hand on my bow for up to 20 minutes, like really just, you know, pressing and squeezing my hand to kind of keep some blood flow. My right hand that had no glove was just buried in that hand muff. And then if I thought, the, you know, cause I could see the deer was like, he put his ears down, like he's starting to nod his head, nod off. I'd lay the bow down on the ground, jam both hands in that hand muff, warm my shooting hand up again, you know, and then, and then go back to it. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't have, I mean, I do have some damage from, from cold on a couple of my fingers, but I don't have the same issues that you do, Aaron, you know, um, with your hands, but man, without your hands, I mean, you might as well just stay in the truck, right? I mean, if you can't draw your bow and shoot, what's the point? Well, it was um, it was funny. You definitely have to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like Baby Gap was lucky because the first stock Baby Gap and I went on went about 400 yards, peaked over the top of the hill. Sure enough, there's three, well, there was two bucks. I didn't see the third, and I didn't actually until I got about three yards from him. And uh, I'm like, all right, dude, this is perfect. I'm like, that one book, buck looks about 26, 27 wide. I'm like, just stay right here. Um, I was like, when you see me reach my hand back behind me and make a fist, that's where I want you to come up to and stop and, and just watch. And uh, I I got down on those deer. I got right to the edge of the red brush, and it got another desperation mode. I'm like, I'm going to have to throw my range finder. I'm going to throw my foot, my shoe. Like, I, I got to stand this buck up. Well, I found a cow turd, and uh, – I threw it and everything worked as planned, but when the deer stood up, I thought he was, my, his ass was to my left and head was to the right. He was opposite. There was a, a tree branch and a tree in the way or a willow. Anyway, I, I actually repositioned myself to clear that and I hit a branch. Uh, I actually posted that on Instagram, but my point being is I had that window to make something happen. And the other option is you don't go in and you hang back at a safe distance, stay as warm right. as you can, and then go in. Well, I didn't think the wind would be as bad where I was at. And when I got in there, it got to a point where I'm like, all right, I, I got to do something, which I ended up throwing a grenade of a cow turd, and, and it worked. I mean, the buck gave me a shot, had a window of about five seconds of him trying to figure out what was going on. What was crazy, especially for Baby Gap, is when the first deer stood up, he was three steps in front of me, 
and I didn't see him in that red brush. When he stood wow. up, I about shit wow. my pants. And luckily, he was wow. a dumb three-point and didn't know what the hell was going on. So he's looking at me like, are you a cow? Like, you can see him kind of tilting his head like, what's going on here? Who's, who's woken us up? Well, I threw the cow turd basically on him. Right, he was to the right of the big buck. So when I threw it, it only landed a couple feet from him. Um, and then there was another three by four that stood up and then the big one. And and I told Baby Gap, I'm like, look, Lander does not like when you do that shit at all. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, he does not want you to stand him up. He does not like that. I've been super successful with it. But when you tell him tonight what happened, he's going to tell you I'm an idiot. So just be prepared for that because he's going to tell you why not to do it. But he also knows I lose feeling in my, my hands and my feet pretty quick. But the next day he was giving me shit. He's like, yeah. so what are you going to throw today, Aaron? Your rangefinder, your binoculars, cow shit? What do you think you'll stand up? But he's giving me crap about it because when they stand up naturally, <laughs> they're not as uh, apt to blow out. Well, yeah, and that's, and, you know, that's, what, that's how Frank was successful. But, you know, I would argue that because I've done it before on mule deer, and I'd say I got maybe about a 25% success rate throwing them throwing something and get something to stand up but with with a compound bow just the process of shooting takes you know let's just call it five seconds to be generous um and it doesn't take near as long with with a with a trad bow that you're probably more successful in the shooting um when they stand up quick than you are shooting a compound you know it's just i, I i'd rather try to wait them out um and i think you would too but i try to rather wait them out i almost feel that's Sometimes it's my only option. Um, but, you know, I, I, maybe you should back up a little bit because maybe some people didn't follow the hunt on Instagram. But you keep talking about the red brush. So we talked about the couple days we hunted those those coolies and canyons. Once Frank and I moved into the same kind of terrain that you were in, which was like rolling more hilly terrain with these patches of vegetation. A lot of micro. Like that's where we ended up micro being terrain. more successful. I kind of walked kind of kind of describe like what you're looking for and how we're how we're getting in on these deer so close in that terrain so and, and again i when i explain this to the guys i was with you can cancel when the wind's blowing roughly 80 percent of the terrain totally out of the equation because the deer just aren't going to bed there so looking at the terrain they're not going to bed in the wind they're not going to bed in the wind and so yep. because of the elevation of these rolling hills and the pockets and the red brush if you have if you use which i don't use it as much as as, as those guys were but if you have something like um base map on x i hunt alberta whatever the hell you got and you can look as a rough estimate from the truck you can like ah, half-ass figure out your route so what it is is if you can imagine um, hills that are probably 20 to 30 feet tall at the highest rolling hills with depressions of 10, 15, 20 feet with an occasional canyon, just a lot of what I call micro terrain, micro topography. And when you're hunting those, if you can angle yourself approaching it to the, so if the, if the wind's blowing from right to left, you're going to want to angle it to where you're coming in on the left side of the hill because they're staying out of the wind and you're going to take a step glass take a step glass when you get there you don't know if there's red brush in that if you start seeing red brush i would say one out of every five or six what i call good holes meaning out <laughs> of the wind 
Thank you, pervert. <laughs> out of the wind, bread brush, one of every five or six is going to have deer in it. Once you get around that, you are looking for the top four to six inches of their rack sticking out. You know, if it's a big deer or it's short red brush, it's going to be, a hell, like the photos I was sending you guys, a hell of a lot more than four to six inches. What that four to six inches tells you, though, is everything that that deer is doing without exposing yourself. And that that's how you make your approach. And that micro topography in those rolling hills is where it's at for me. That's where I have the funnest time is going through there. The only problem is, is when you get to the edge of the red brush, your ass may be sitting for four hours waiting for him to stand because it's, it's thick. I'm talking like Vietnam, jungle, holy shit thick. You are not getting an arrow through unless you're sub five no. yards. No. Yeah. Yeah, Frank, Frank, you should describe that one stock you were on. You did an amazing stock uh, on these two deer, these two good deer, um, and you could just see their – that's all you could see, but you could see most of the rack because they were big deer. Um, and Frank – and it's kind of interesting to sit back and watch it because you're like, how can they not see him? Or how could Frank not see the deer? But the train is – that micro train so, so deceiving. But, you know, Frank had an amazing uh, – stock you crawled a lot on that one i think yeah probably billy crawled a couple hundred yards there but um yeah like you guys are saying that micro train helps even just a little bit of a of a rise that you can get behind helps for any type of stocking i guess but um yeah we uh we came over this valley and lander kind of drove the truck up just a little bit and he looked in his binos and he's like oh there's there's two and you're like holy shit how did you spot those and I, I was pretty surprised too but Lander's been out there hunting for 20 years so he just knows these pockets and where to look so kind of crept the truck back and we looked over the train a while and I think that's something that's super important that sometimes I forget to do is uh kind of study the land and, and the the brush and everything on on how you want to make your approach and try to remember where they were at because um you know we i had to make this big long loop just to get behind them um and i it took me forever just to relocate and pinpoint where they were at so that's kind of what took me so long on this stock i was belly crawling with a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of where i didn't necessarily have to be but i was trying to take my time just to to locate them but they were um they were in this really thick patch bedded together uh, just off of a, an old cattle road there. And um, that stock probably took me an, uh, an hour or so just to get into position. And uh, once I pinpointed them, the wind wasn't super super powerful or it wasn't howling. So you, I was trying to, I took my shoes off as I normally do in my bino harness and try to get as quiet as possible. And one thing I always do is I always roll up my, my pant legs up to my knees so that if I do have to walk through that red brush, it's it's a lot less loud rubbing up against your uh, against your socks or your base layer compared to any pants, unless you're wearing something like a like a fleece pant. But um, did that, got to 50 yards. They kind of got. I saw one of his antlers kind of just waving back and forth, like he was kind of hearing something. So I got ready to shoot at 50, and he kind of calmed down. So I snuck in another 10 yards to 40, and um, he heard something he didn't like and, and stood up. And when he stood up, half of his body was covered, uh, covered by the brush. So I, I drew back, aimed right on that brush line, and shot, and actually shot through the brush, and and hit him. And uh, 
I felt good about the shot. I would take the shot again. I was shooting a, a fixed blade iron wheel for that reason, just in case I had to shoot through brush. But later to find out the deflection was not quite of what I thought it was. <laughs> um, and that that buck, uh, you guys watched him. He ran. He was fine. He he ran. God knows how how far. And uh, it was a it was a sad day for me <laughs> that day. <laughs> <laughs> because you, when you miss something up at, at Landers or something goes wrong, it's not like people don't let you fucking forget it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so my, so we, uh, so we uh, initially we found the, I found the back of the arrow. I went to the, uh, the arrow actually broke, at probably at the back. There's probably six inches left from the back of the arrow, and the knock had popped out. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe I shot shoulder or something like that. Found the back of the arrow. We kind of drove to where we thought the deer went, didn't find much for sign. And uh, John proposed that we go back to the sh- shot area and see if we could find the uh, the front, you know, front, whatever, five, six of that arrow there and uh, or three quarters of that arrow. And uh, we looked around and John actually if found it. If you posted that on social media, someone would argue that it was two thirds. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, it probably would be more like two thirds. I'm not good at maths. We'll I, don't, say I don't read good. Probably the the front 22 inches of the fucking arrow. God damn it! <laughs> I don't know what that is in centimeters, Canadian. So we uh, we went back. John actually found the front the front portion of the arrow. It was uh, purely covered in fat. So I figured I shot it in the dong. Um, actually, I wasn't sure. I thought I, I hit it. It was a good hit. It was through the brush, and um, later to find out, we will get to this part. But it was a uh, interesting hit. Um, so yeah, we uh, it was good that it was good that we went back and found that arrow. I think uh, that was a good call on John's part. Went back and found it. Determined nothing. It was a non fatal non fatal hit. So um, yeah, the, I can. And tell then I became brisket boy from there. From then on, I, I'm I'm neck man. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can tell my sad story if if it'll make you feel better. Was that the better. same day? That was the same day. It, I I would say mine is probably the saddest story in the history <laughs> of primitive outfitting, or at least one of the saddest. I don't. What do you guys think that? Well, one of the sad stories is I stalked in on a deer that was probably a hundred and eighty plus inch whitetail that I couldn't shoot. Um, <laughs> now, that is pretty sad. That's unfortunate. And You'll I, never get that opportunity in your lifetime nine yards from that size of a deer and when i first dropped in on it it looked like a mule deer from the back just i just see the back points sticking up i get no shit legitimate nine steps away three doe after i've sat there this was a warmer day actually that was the day it got 60 that day it didn't feel that because it had crazy 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 winds um and uh anyway i that with with that white tail, when it stood up, I about shit my drawers. I was like, it had head facing away, easily 23, 24 inches wide, a main beam that looked like a baseball bat curved around, everything you'd want, six inch eye guards, and I'm looking at it like, oh my effing lord, that is a beast of a white tail. And to shit on my dreams even further, it lays back down right in front of me after the does go by. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me. And uh, I backed out and took some photos for you guys to see and got out of there. That's the closest I'll ever be to a whitetail that size. But what's even crazier is I did it on the ground. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, how the hell? And 
you know, it's funny with the the whitetail reaction. They are much twitchier than mule deer when you're behind them. That that deer's ears were constantly. He never stopped moving his head. He was where mule deer. Yeah. They're not nearly as bad. Or I didn't. I don't think anyway. That's what's so amazing, though, Aaron. I mean, if people haven't, you know, hunted mule deer or whitetail from the ground, like mule deer on the ground are tough. We've been talking about that the whole podcast. You stalk a buck of that size, i.e., he's probably five, six years old for sure. You stalk a whitetail on the ground and get that close, like you're talking a feat that very few people probably have ever done in their lifetime. Like those things are like mule deer on crack. They're so twitchy. Of course, the way my week went, I probably would have shot him in the neck anyway, which is the next story I will tell. So, <laughs> so I, baby gap and I go out, um, Nathan goes in his glass, a different area. And I'm like, Hey dude, we're, we're going to do the same thing we did the other day. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling what, by the way, like Nathan and Ryan were great. Um, I, Ryan and I have been friends forever. He's, he's an suit. He, I wish to God that my daughter would dump the asshole she's with and get with a guy like Ryan. Um, Just not Canadian, though. I, even Canadian, like, not to bring up weird shit, he shakes my hand like a girl, soft hand, he wears skinny jeans and a flat brim. Not Ryan. Nothing manly about him. Ryan is like like this coolest kid you could ever meet, like a sponge for knowledge, and he makes fun of you. Like, he's, he, he's, he's pretty witty for, at times, and... I can't say when he's not around Frank, he's very much an adult. When he's around Frank, it sounded like it went downhill quick. <laughs> at a level of 1 to 10, Barklow, how annoying. Did you think you had high schoolers in the back of the truck? Oh, fuck. I know. I know I had high schoolers. As a matter of <laughs> fact, Lander and I were joking that they were our children. And uh, I was just like, you two cut it out back there. If I have to stop this truck and get out, you're going you're gonna to regret it. Oh, they were little bitches. They were little bitches back there checking their social posts and g- giggling about certain things. Well, yeah. When we went to the cafe for lunch, I introduced Lander and John as my dad's. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. That's funny. Oh, Lord. But, but yeah, when, when Baby Gap, when we call him Baby Gap because he's cute. Um, when Baby Gap and I took off, <laughs> I don't think we went 150 yards. And I, I told him, I said, hey, Stay on the kind of the behind me and to the to the right. We don't want two heads popping up here, um, you know, as we creep over. And I go up over in glass with my binos. I see that deer, and it looks to be a 14 to 6-inch dagger coming off the back of his main beam. I, I creep to – I hit the ground. I crawl back, and I'm like, dude. One, one thing, sorry to interrupt there, but Lander told me at the beginning of the season not to use the words – target buck hit list <laughs> and you can't name a deer and when you sent the picture of it to lander he's like oh shit that's a dagger that was on my target that was my target buck this year i'm like oh, oh cool lander oh you, you fucking hypocrite oh that's fun and and believe it or not dagger was my the deer i got on's kid oh it was yeah yeah it's much smaller than the one i and i've had people look at that deer and be like ah, i don't think it's whatever and i'm like Look, I was that far from it. That deer was big. So it was probably a 170 mainframe with a 14 to 16-inch dagger off the left, two 3-inch inlines coming off the right, and 4-inch eye guards. That buck was fucking giant. And I'm like, all right, brother, here's what we're going to do. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. I want you to stay here. I may need you to stand it up. 
I'm going to get in on it as close as I can, it looks like, because at the top of the hill before I dropped in on it, I ranged the edge of the red brush and I ranged him and I was getting between 15 and 18 yards. I'm like, I should be able to close the distance between 15 and 18. Watch what I do when I go down, just if you have to guide a guy in a stock. So he hung behind me. I creep in, no real problem at all. I kind of follow this patch of, of red brush that I didn't want to step in, get right to the edge, drop to my, you know, I go down to my knees. The deer makes no movement. And I'm looking at this astronomical rack in front of me counting inches and I'm like ah we got 27 H main beam and I've got ah, decent splits not great but it's got this and I'm like I'm getting between 203 and 207 each time and I'm like stop looking at the horn Snyder Jesus just look down don't pay attention and I get to a point I'm like all right I, I can't take it um I, I I can't you know freezing I'm like I, I gotta shift a little bit so in the course of this time, I had a a path where they enter through the red brush that's about 10 to 12 inches wide, straight up the pipe where I could have shot it just in front of the rear quarter after I had shifted over a couple feet. So baby gaps behind me, probably trying to figure out what I'm doing because I go to three quarter, half draw, quarter draw like eight times. Well, trying to clear that gap and make a good shot with it with the wind gusting as much as it was i'm like i'm just gonna wait until it calms down this is the short version of the story and i mean this is not a laughing matter when i finally shoot and because he knew what happened because the same gust hit him i hit an uh, an insane wind gust hits me i'm not blaming it all on the wind gust my arrow flight is not great uh it blows me up and i hit it in the neck of all places and it takes off out of its bed, and it is every bit as big or not bigger than we thought it was. The dagger was every bit as big as we thought it was. And the short version, after looking for multi-hours and gritting and everything else, we never found the deer. They're, they're obviously looking for it this week, but shit happens, bad luck. But, I mean, you, you kind of go over what I could have done different. One of the things that I should have done, and, and I'm not trying to pimp out – Randy Cooling has been bugging me to get the quiver off my bow forever, and I've used his back quiver a bunch, but he told me before I left on this hunt, he's like, eventually you're going to be in a position where you're going to pray to not have that quiver on your bow because he's been in that situation. And I was thinking to Randy as I was having my bow blow all over the place. In fact, I believe I made the comment, we'll probably get some blowback from this, but... uh Trying to aim, I look like Michael J. Fox because I was flipping all over the place. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't hold the bow still, and that you know, I got five vein or five arrows coming off of it. This quiver, and I've got all these veins, and it's blowing me all over the place. If I would have just had the bow, I would have had a lot less movement. And I'm not blaming everything on that. You know, it could have been my shot. At, you know, but it, overall, I. I had another deer that was probably in the 170s that I just flat out couldn't shoot. I, I, I was 24 yards yeah. from it, 23. It was just too windy. I was getting blown all over. But that's how technical this, this hunting is and every little thing. I mean, the only thing I would do different about anything I did last week is I would have put my tight spot quiver on that bow and not a two-piece because I like the two-piece. It's a little quieter, you know, just doesn't vibrate as much. I'd have put the tight spot on there so I could have pulled it off when I got ready to shoot. That's the only thing I wish I'd have done different, but that little bit, it matters. 
it really does make a difference. You know, you're talking a game of inches potentially. Um, yeah, every, every, and you're shooting those big, what are you shooting four, four inch or something like that? Yeah. Four or four inch trad veins. Yeah. 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 And even yeah. with a smaller well, vein, you know, it's still a pain in the butt. But before we get to, uh, the, the, the culmination of, uh, of the week, I'll, I'll tell my tale of woe. Um, but, uh, I, I got in on a buck, like I had talked about single buck. And if you can find a single buck, you know, and you can probably talk to this better Aaron, cause you've got more of those opportunities. Like a single buck is really what you're looking for. Um, maybe one other, but you know, if you can find a single buck, he's going to be super killable. And, um, so I crawled in on this buck. I got the 27 yards and kind of started going through my, my little Zen moment of, you know, calming down and trying to stay warm and figuring it out. And I, I kept looking at this deer and I'm, he was maybe the most symmetrical deer I've ever seen. Cause I could just see the side of his head and like his tines on his, on his right side were lined up perfectly with his left. I'm like, this deer's, I mean, he's just a gorgeous deer. I just wasn't convinced he was a big deer, especially cause I couldn't tell his width. He wouldn't ever turn. And, uh, so I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, Mel, maybe I should get a little closer, but to your point, you know, if you get too close, when you start seeing ear tips, like you're definitely getting to the point where he could potentially see, see you over the top of that red brush. And, uh, but anyways, I wanted to see what direction his body was facing. So when he stood up, I wanted him to be, you know, ideally broadside or even quarter and away. And I kept getting the impression that maybe he was actually facing me, like his body was facing me, but his head was turned. So I kind of figure this all out. And uh, so I'm going to crawl around to his right a little bit and get a couple yards closer and maybe get a better angle when he stands up. Still not convinced this is a deer worth shooting. And uh, as I'm doing that, just as I'm kind of getting to my last, quote, firing position, I can see this deer and he's getting ready to stand up. And so I just freeze and this deer stands up at 27 yards. And I was right. He stood up facing me, like directly at me. So even if I'd wanted to shoot him, I didn't have a shot. Um, so he, he just stands up looking right at me and I'm just, I just freeze. I'm covered, you know, head to toe, face mask, everything in that in subalpine. And that effing mule deer literally just stood there calm as could be for at least 30 seconds looking right through me. And I'm thinking, it's up, like two hours, it's up, uh, he's going to bust out. I realized it wasn't a deer I wanted to shoot. He was like a three-year-old 160-type deer. That damn deer, after 30 seconds of just hanging around, puts his head down, eats a little bit of red brush, walks two yards closer to me and bed down, beds down facing directly away from me. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And, uh, after the fact, Jeff Landard said, he goes, he goes, brother, he goes, I've been doing this for a very long time. He goes, I have never seen a deer stand up out of its bed with a hunter that close. And that thing just go right back and bed back down. Um, so then once I knew it wasn't a deer I was going to shoot, I figured, well, let me see what I could get away with. So I got maybe a couple yards closer and then, um, and then just kept peeking up, peeking up, got the, got to my knees and then, um, just came back to full draw to see if I could get away with it. He had kind of seen motion. He stood up 
he gave me an opportunity, um, and then I just let him kind of, I think he ran out to 80 and stood broadside like they normally do. And then, uh, yeah, got back in the truck and, and warmed back up. But pr- pretty cool experience. Like I told my wife, I said, you know, you want to at least get in the arena and play the game. And uh, Jeff actually posted a really cool picture of me on that buck um, on his uh, Instagram page right after that. But um, but that was fortuitous for Frank because what do you think, Frank? Fifteen minutes later, we found your buck. Yeah, yeah, probably about fifteen minutes later. Yep. So yeah, we uh, we ended up after uh, after that all happened, we got back in the in the truck there and went down and went spotting for some more bucks and that's kind of right around when the uh those little patches of snow started coming in and out and um lander pops his spotter on and like a mile away he's like i got another one like what the shit lander he's like eagle eye and it just so happened to be in a patch of uh red brush that we were in um that day i shot that that one buck there uh i ended up walking straight through that that patch of red brush just looking just to make sure that um you know the buck wasn't hit fatally or whatever so devised a uh a, a plan there and um circled around and kind of figured out a, a route that we would take to uh to to kind of get close to it and, and see what it was so uh we we kind of uh parked the truck out of sight lander and john kind of directed me in a direction that i needed to walk and come around the back side of uh the backside of this buck and um kind of kind of did that so um uh let's see so that was probably around i don't know maybe like three three o'clock or something like that so um it was it was around a i would say it was around a, a mile walk over to to where that deer was and you know it, it never necessarily looks the same as, as as it does when you when you get over there compared to where you're glassing from but um, it took a it took a, a little bit of, of time just to kind of pinpoint where that deer was and ended up uh, I ended up above it around 100 yards and spotted it. It was feeding, and um, you know, Landers kind of told us before in the past that you know if they get up and they're feeding around three, there's a pretty good chance that they're gonna continue feeding for the rest of the evening. So I was like, damn man, I might be screwed on this one. And you know, it, it actually just ended up getting up out of its bed, eating for probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and it, and it laid back down. So I knew it was game on from there. So uh, <clears throat> as they said, as John said, I took my shoes off and decided to get in closer. And honestly, it was probably windy enough to uh, to not have to do that, but I knew this was our last opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way. I don't think you'd have gotten me to take my boots off that day. <laughs> yeah, it was cold. So I knew this was our last opportunity. Um, John actually uh, let me borrow his uh, hand muff, and I was gonna—I was planning on using that, and I—I uh, I wore it the whole time. But I honestly—I just didn't use it all that much, just because I was so paranoid about this deer standing up at any moment. I didn't want to miss out not on an opportunity. So, um, took my boots off, took my bino harness off as I normally do. Um, kind of like what Aaron was saying here just a second ago. You kind of want to make sure you don't have anything flapping. And uh, I've had just the, like loose straps on a harness before flapping in the wind, so you know, I was I was taking every precaution that I that I could to make sure I wasn't wasn't hurt. So took the boots off, rolled the pant legs up, and uh, started started my stock. The I knew the buck was kind of bedded facing away, so I didn't necessarily have to crouch all that much and makes stalking through that red brush a little bit easier when you're not 
fully crouched over. So I got to uh, 27 yards and felt pretty good about it. And um, wasn't wearing gloves, so my hands and my toes were, were frozen. And I sat probably at 27 yards for about an hour, and I just remember John saying uh, when he was, came back from his stock that um, the wind was so bad where he was, he didn't feel like a, a 30-yard shot was a guarantee. So that was like coursing through my mind for an hour, like maybe I should get closer. Um, so the wind was gusting pretty bad, and I decided first what I was going to do is I was going to take my quiver off, and uh, and then I was going to try to get closer because the wind was was blowing pretty hard, perpendicular to where I was facing the deer. And I started off with an iron wheel on on my uh, on knocked up on the bow, and then I decided to I might switch over to an expandable just because this wind is so gnarly. Um, so once I took the quiver off, I popped an arrow out of the quiver, which was that uh, inch and a half uh, sever broadhead, and then I I quickly switched it out and try to get closer and uh, ended up at 19 yards. So sat there for, gosh, at least another hour, I guess. And um, you know, I was I, I was just contemplating in my head if I should try to toss something over toward past the deer to get him to stand up or kind of like grunt or try to make like a, a bleat sound to, to get him to stand up. And after a while there, uh, I decided I wasn't going to do that. And thank God, something over the hill kind of sounded like a uh, kind of like a fawn almost um, kind of made like a, a bleat sound, just a very light bleat, and it scared the shit out of me and the bucks. We both snapped our head over like, what in the hell? And uh, I knew that was that was, that was was going to be my, my lucky chance there. And the buck kind of snapped his head over, shook his antlers out a little bit, kind of stretched, and then I knew he was going to stand up, and he did. And um, he was he – was, he stood up facing a quarter away, which was perfect. That's one of my favorite shots to make, and – I shot him right in front of that back quarter there, and it the full arrow went in, and um, it didn't exit or anything like that. So the arrow was was inside of him, and he probably ran I don't know maybe a hundred yards and, and tipped over. So it was kind of a cool way to end the hunt. It was kind of a bummer that everybody didn't tag out, but um, funny thing is uh, we're like taking pictures, and John's looking at the deer, and he's like, "This is uh, is this the entrance?" And there's like this this gash on his back and his fat. I'm like, no, that's not the entrance. And then you're like, what? What's up with his ear up here? And his ear is uh, his ear is like split halfway down. And um, I guess we determined that may have been the deer that I shot two days <laughs> earlier, which I don't understand. I don't understand the deflection, how it deflected up and and caught him in the ear, and then went into his his hind his backside there. But you know, I guess that's just what happens. So. It's archery, Frank. You can't you can't explain yeah, it sometimes. I'm, I'm still in denial, but I think you I think you guys are right. Um, <laughs> I shot a 200 inch deer at 17 yards in the fucking neck, Frank. Shit happens. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was kind of a <laughs> it was kind of a cool ending to uh, you know I got the deer that I shot initially. So um, super happy. Those deer. It's cool to see one on the ground up close and personal. Um, they're just so big body even i mean the rack wasn't anything spectacular but just the body and the nose on that thing and the just they're just huge they're huge animals it's not like a colorado mule deer it, it was big it was probably a younger deer than i shot here in colorado this year but the body was just massive it was way bigger no i just made a post on instagram with the the two big deer i was on in the red brush and then the the white tail and uh basically just saying i fucked up and i didn't kill a deer but what a week um, every one of those deer, when they did stand up, I guarantee were 350 to 400 pounds, including the whitetail. They're the, they're the largest deer I've ever seen. Yeah, their bodies are huge up there up north. Yeah, you know, you got lucky too, Frank, in the sense that 
I don't know if you had a contingency, but I mean, dude, you were, you were running out of daylight. Like by the time we drove over there, it was almost dark for pictures and, and to gut that thing. Yeah. That was my hope. It was going to stand. I was going to wait back behind it until it stood up and hopefully it wasn't going to be after dark. So it just, just so happened to work out that whatever that was that made that, that noise, um, it, it got it to stand up. And that was kind of something I was going to say earlier. I have a theory that maybe, you know, if we go back next year or whatever that we, uh, carry the can. Uh, well, not even the can. When I was a kid and I, st- I, I still have one somewhere, we'd buy this little quail call. It looks like a, almost like, like a, like a little cigar almost. You yeah. blow it like sideways, like a harmonica. And if you don't do it like the quail call, if you just blow into it, it kind of sounds like a, like a fawn, a fawn, like a man, yeah. yeah. like a very light. That's exactly what that sounded like. So I'm thinking, you know, you get a guy into position, you get a guy, another guy set up a couple hundred yards away and just lightly blow into that, and maybe you'll get him to stand up. You know, because it's not a sound well, that's Well, you know, you get enough opportunities, especially with some smaller deer. It'd be a great, it'd be a great thing to kind of experiment with and see if you could, you know, even if you had another guy with you 50 yards behind you. It's better the than the alternative of... Blow that and see if it'll stand him up. It's better than throwing a cow turd. I can <laughs> like tell you a that. frisbee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that first the first day I was on those cattails, and uh, Lander always knows I try to stand stuff up, and that one buck like yawned, and Lander thought it was me trying to stand the deer up. <laughs> so you know, picture I'm I'm sub thirty yards from deer I can't see and cattails, and I hear, and Lander looks down at me and he's like. You know, he's, I don't know, 200 yards. He's like, was that you? And I was like, was that a buck fart or a groan? Like, and I heard it two or three times. I'm assuming it was yawning. I don't know what it was. The, the thing, though, that huh. the the doe bleat or something like that, it's not foreign to him. Like, and in, in compared to right. a turd landing by him, it's a lot, not, you know, that is foreign. Oh, there's turds flying, right? At least it might give you an extra second because they just want to see where it's at. So they might get up and look for something that's not going to try and kill them rather than, oh, something just hit the ground. It could be anything, and they're super alert. So it, it makes sense, you know, to use like a fawn bleed or something. Yeah, especially during the rut or, you know, we're just on the verge of the rut. We're pre-rut, but they're definitely starting to search. Um, yeah, it might be something it might be something worth playing around with. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, man, I, I uh, appreciate you coming up there with us. It's a hell of a, hell of a time, and... um I, it haunts me now. I'm not going to sleep right forever thinking of those deer, but it, uh, it it was a good trip. I mean, it was obviously I had I was in a different unit and uh, I was on a bit more deer than you guys, so you're probably like that fucking dickhead. But um, Gar hold us. Gar hold. Yeah, you got Gar. Did, uh, did you end up finding out how to? <laughs> did you find out how to download the poop emoji talking? Yeah, that's the most important question. No, actually. I haven't figured. I haven't figured out how to get my uh, poop emoji to talk yet with I, my. Uh, at the Sitka the office, if you, if you go to the IT guy, will he think that's strange for you to ask help for that? Or? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we don't have an IT guy. I kind of got to be my own IT guy, so my wife will figure it out for me. <laughs> if I could get my poop emoji to talk, it'll be a great day for me. And then all my friends will be like, oh, my God, you're just wearing this thing out. But <laughs> it'll make me laugh. You'll never, never have a text response again. It'll be a little turd talking back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. Frank had a good one. Well, we shouldn't go into it, but Frank had a good one with the unicorn that I kind of laughed at. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty What, good. did you ask Lander to ride your horn? I said, I got a seat for you, Lander. It's right here on my horn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Well, cool, man. Well, yeah, again, thanks for everything, and thanks for coming up there with us. It was a, a, a hell of a time. And if guys have questions on uh, – uh, or, or whatever feedback. Cause I, I did a Q and A and had a ton of questions. Um, I don't even know that John answers questions on Instagram, but fire away for anything. If you got anything for me or Frank on, on Instagram on the clothing stuff or optics or, well, don't ask anything on the bino harness cause I can't talk about it, but anything other than that, um, fire <laughs> away. And, uh, you know, I'm more, more than willing to at least tell you my, my thoughts on it. Cause every time I go out, I learn something. And this was definitely one of those hunts where, I learned a lot about trying to stay warm and being stuck in one spot. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, it was awesome, man. I, I love Alberta. If you love hunting mule deer, Alberta is the place to go, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Well, cool. Well, man, have a good day. Good luck with the poo emoji. Um, I may get mine figured out before <laughs> you and rub it in your face. We'll see. <laughs> if you get a poo emoji from me and yeah, it's talking. Well, stay, stay warm in Texas in sub-zero temps. Oh, I know, right? It's supposed to warm up a little, but... Yeah. All right, man. Take it easy. We appreciate it. All right, boys. Take Later. Care.